The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. So Jessie is a returning guest from season one. She's back this week to talk about her brand new book on the Tao. In this conversation, we get to talking about motherhood, social media, and even how Dr. Wayne Dyer influenced her writing. She is so much fun to talk to, and I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Don't forget to check out my new page on Patreon. You can sign up for exclusive bonuses, including the full video for this episode. Go to patreon.com slash Nadia Delacruz or visit NadiaDelacruz.com for all my links and more info about this podcast. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Nadia Dela Cruz, founder of the Wayne Dyer Wisdom Community on Facebook and angeltarot.org. This podcast would not be possible without support from loyal fans like you. I want to thank everyone who has joined me on Patreon. You can sign up now for exclusive bonuses, including access to the full video for this episode. You'll find that link and more details about this podcast at NadiaDelacruz.com. Now, my guest today is a writer whose work has appeared in the New York Times, Washington Post, New York Daily News, Wall Street Journal, and many other impressive publications. She is the author of a brand new book called Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, Healing, Chilling, and Living with the Tao Te Ching, here to talk about how ancient philosophy can help us thrive in modern chaos. Jesse Asya Kanzer, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Jesse, welcome back. So this is actually your second time on the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast. <laughs> we got together in the fall of 2020, uh, right after I'd recorded an episode titled Miraculous Healing. I was talking about um, many of the spiritual healing experiences that Wayne Dyer had and beliefs that he had surrounding that. And one of the things that came up was John of God. Now, I found your article, I think it was on HuffPost. Um, yes. Talking about your experience of having visited John of God and now all the controversy surrounding him now. So that episode, I think, was a little bit unusual. We kind of went in a different direction, but I didn't want to just sweep that under the rug. And in my mind, you were just the perfect person to talk about spiritual healing and this experience without, you know, shame or embarrassment or feeling like we have to sweep everything under the rug. Like, you know, let's take it for what it is and, you know, mine it for the meaning. So thank you for coming on and talking to me. Thank you. And, you know, I, as I was saying to you before we got started, it is such an amazing opportunity to come back 
to where I started. It was actually my first podcast episode ever was with you. I've done many since then because as I'm promoting Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, it's it's part of what we do now as writers and creators. We, we get to talk to each other. But what you said means a lot to me because everything that I do, everything I do in my writing and I did in this book is about unloading our shame and just being really honest about our journeys. Because as you and I agree, the journey's never over. So yeah, we're on it. And yeah, sometimes it's not perfect and mistakes happen and you end up following people who disappoint you. And so be it. That is the path of being human, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm really on a mission to help folks unload the shame of everything. That's why I try to be as open a book as I can. And in Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, I talk about my eating disorder of many years and my love addiction. And I mean, like any humiliating subject you can think of. Mm -hmm. Whatever happened to me that I used to myself sweep under the rug, I now bring out into the light because first of all, the truth sets me free. But also my hope is in seeing that I can be okay with all of this less than perfect stuff out about me, maybe folks will be more comfortable with their own imperfections and their own imperfect path. Yeah, humanity is beautifully imperfect, perfectly imperfect. And I think that what is the most personal is often also the most universal. So when we bear our souls, when we show people our wounds, when we admit to our struggles, that's when we can really connect on a heart level with one another. And you've definitely done that with this book and really with the writing that you've been doing for years. So I'm honored that I was able to sort of cross your path at that point. And I know when we talked... In 2020, you said, oh, you know, I'm I'm writing this book about the Tao. And I was like, fabulous. Like, let me know when you finish the book. I'd love to have you back on. And here we are. Congratulations. You did it. So how long Thank were you. you how long were you working on um on your book? So about three years, but to be honest, when I said that to you, I remember I remember telling you that, but until it actually happened, I never knew for sure it was going to happen. And I think it's <laughs> well, so everything's funny that, that way, right? No, well, yes, totally. in life, but we feel no. we feel drawn towards things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to note that because we got to get started before there's any certainty involved, and that's what I've really understood with this path as a whole. I've been doing something in these last bunch of years and I was definitely on that path already when we first spoke of just following the breadcrumbs of life and the Tao is very much about going with life instead of going against it and of course we may hear that but it takes For me, it took many iterations, many years to fully understand it. And then from understanding to actually living it, to just follow the flow of life and let life lead me instead of taking over. So if I feel a strong pull towards something, I do it and I don't get attached to how it's going to look in the end. And this book, Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, has been a really beautiful progression of you know, of an idea that began, interestingly enough, with Wayne Dyer. And that's why I love that the first podcast I ever did was <laughs> with you when we were talking, you know, and I-, I know that... With the same name as his book, too, Change Your Thoughts, Change Your yes, Life, right? Yes, that's and exactly, his- exactly. Yeah. 
his subtitle yeah, and that was is the, Living the Wisdom of the Tao, but it's Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. And and, and that, that was the inspired book. inspired this podcast, yeah. Yeah, and isn't that funny? That inspired this podcast and that inspired Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing. <laughs> so the synchronicity of that, you know, yeah, it is just amazing. There's, yeah, yeah. And of course, we both go beyond just the inspiration that started it, but it is really cool how one seedling of an idea one one set of you know wise words can spawn many different iterations like it like your podcast like your community mm-hmm. like my book yeah at the same time that we're the protagonist in our own life we're we're also a player in a much bigger picture so this is this is the book here change your thoughts change your life living the wisdom of, of the Tao that we're talking about here. And um, that's actually what he was talking about when I went and saw him in Maui. I think that was 2007. And that was such um, um, a big moment for me. It was a transformative weekend, getting to, to spend that time in that on that beautiful island. So what was, um, what was your response to this book or what was the impact that it had on you? So I'll, I'll quickly lift my book up because it's so funny that you mm-hmm. had. So this is Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, because now the finished copies are in. And Yay. it's funny that um, until you lifted Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life, I didn't re- even realize that, you know, there there's a sky behind Wayne and mm-hmm. there's a sky mm-hmm. here. And there's it's it's funny that there's, you know, there's... Um, Spaciousness. You know, I have just a, yeah. Yes. I have, a, I have a cartoon character of a girl that I suppose could be me or could be anyone, but, but it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to see, um, again, more synchronicity. So I actually discovered the Tao Te Ching. The first time I ever heard of it was in a book called A Million Little Pieces. Mm. And years later, many years later, I was already working on this book. I was listening to an old recording of Wayne Dyer's and apparently that too is how he started his path with the Tao Te Ching. Yeah. Now this book, um, A Million Little Pieces, was a book of addiction and recovery by uh, one individual. And it had a really fraught life of its own, this book, because what happened was it was presented as a memoir and then it ended up, you know, there was some fictionalized stuff in there and it had a lot of chaos around it. But for me, and I guess for Wayne Dyer, what it was was a beginning of a different path altogether. Um, I, I happen to have loved the book, but I'm a big reader. I like a lot of books. What I really took notice of were these verses of the Tao Te Ching. So then mm-hmm. I started researching, you know, I got the little copy of Stephen Mitchell's uh, translation yeah, of, the, of, of the Tao. Yeah, that's one of my favorites too. Yes, me, mine, mine as well as the pocket size. It's like the perfect mm-hmm. thing to always throw in your in your bag and have with you. Yeah, Stephen and, Mitchell's translation is really easy to just digest and process. And I know there's there's so many copies. Isn't it like the the most published book other than the Bible, or something like that? It's this. Yeah, it's the second most translated after the Bible. There we go. And. And you know what's so funny? A lot of people don't really know about it um, here where we are. Um, mm-hmm. And it's interesting, obviously, to be the second most translated. It, it's it's lived a long life, let's just say. <laughs> Sixth yeah. century BC is when it's from. And what, um, what I found is then I started reading as many books as I can about the Tao. And this was, you know, 20 years ago. 
I was struggling with an eating disorder at the time. I was deeply depressed. And that's when I found Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. And I I loved it. I always loved Wayne's writing, but I loved the way he brought those pieces to life, those verses from the Tao, these ancient kind of ideas to life. And so years later, as a writer, and you know, I was writing these personal essays like the one about my experience with John of God, and I was deeply personal in my essays, but I wanted, there was something inside me that yearned to go further. Uh, what I realized is, okay, I'm writing about myself and that's cool, but what I want to show folks is how my life taught me lessons that I'm sure are very similar to the lessons their life taught or is teaching them. And as I say in the introduction to Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, the stories are mine, but the struggle is universal. And it's what you said before. It's individual and yet it's universal. It's we all, pain is pain. We all experience it and what we do with it is what really counts. And so years later, when I was thinking of what can I do with all of this personal writing I'm doing, which I loved, it was healing for me. What can I do? And at the same time, I was still having Stephen Mitchell's copy of the Tao next to my bed, looking at it nightly. And then I realized I can do what Wayne Dyer did. I can do a version of, you know, change your thoughts, change your life, where I take these verses, my favorite verses, I didn't include all 81 verses of the Tao. I I took my favorite verses and I spoke about their lessons as they appeared in my life and in the world around me. And so really, yeah, you could say the book affected me a lot since it eventually was the seedling of an idea that led to my first book. So, Well, well done. Well done. Thank you. It's been quite a journey. And actually, I really enjoy your writing style. That's how we connected in the first place because I had seen your articles and it was, you know, it's like talking to a friend and you're just, you know, like really just honest and authentic and just approachable. And the book reads that way as well. So, um, Thank you. you know, I one just of, want to say thank you for saying that. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Um, one of my favorite pieces of the book is, other than the many stories of your life that you weave in, which makes it really personal, is those little quick takes that you put on the verses. So I think there's 47 verses that you included. And you'll have like like just a little snippet of you know a no-nonsense take on it. For example, verse 16, you wrote, external life can be a crapshoot. But your inner life, it's all yours. Seek out the light even in the darkest of places and peace even in the most turbulent of times. We all return to source either way. That's what I wrote. (laughs) I'm I'm just looking at, you know what's so funny? And I know that as a creator, you, you can relate to this. Sometimes the things come, wisdom comes through us. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's not really ours. It just if yeah. if we're good if we're good about getting out of our own way, we become channels. And that's why my own book is useful to me because I need these reminders in my yeah. human form. Oh, we all do because we go up and down and we get distracted. And you can be on like a great meditation practice, and then later in the day, you're like you know snapping at the kids and the dishes are everywhere, and it, you can just really 
pull you out of that. Yeah, Wayne used to say, God builds all the bridges and writes all the books. And I think that at this deeper level, at this spiritual level, we really are all one. We really are all one. And so whatever you go through or whatever I go through and whatever experiences we have, it's like they're collectively benefiting all of us on a deeper level. And so I think we do our best work, whatever it is, whether it's playing tennis, whether it's singing or writing or showing up on a podcast, we do our best work when we can open and be that hollow bone and and let it through. So, I mean, that is honestly my prayer. Every time I show up, like I want to open to spirit, open those doors and just let it through. And you're right. Sometimes I'll go back to things that I said I wrote. I'm like, wow, I really need that, you know? And I think that's not a coincidence. What comes through us is what we need, which brings me back to Wayne because I think, gosh, he had over 40 books and he put so much wisdom. Mm. You'd think he would just be like the smartest person on the planet. But I think the secret is he was writing what he needed, you know, and he was bringing that through for us. So I think he was benefiting from it as well. Well, I can just say from the personal experience, and yes, this is my first book of writing a book um, that with the intention of spreading the healing information that helped me. Well, guess what? I really healed myself in writing it. And I didn't realize that I really had the intention of putting forth what I thought would be good for the world, whoever mm-hmm. the world is, whoever picked it up, even if it's two people, it's, it's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. You know, you really have to just think, like you said, we're all one. So we mm-hmm. all benefit from it. But what was so interesting to me is how healing the experience of putting down what I'd learned was for me personally. And then I, I love this quote, you teach what you need to learn. I really yeah. do believe that. That's beautiful. You know, you you learn something best when you try to teach it to somebody else because then you really have to understand it. But yeah, it's all a process. If we're, if you're doing it for you, you know, I just feel like that's the secret, you know, because you're, then you're detaching from outcome and you're like, what am I going to gain from this journey? So what did you gain from the journey of writing the book and now you're, you know, now you're showing up on podcasts and you're, you know, you're sharing information. I see you on social media every day. And I wonder sometimes because it's so easy to get caught in the busyness that do you come back to these teachings to help center you while you're, you know, doing the work? Yeah, yeah. It's really ironic, right? Like to promote a book called Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing. I got to do a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and that is the a truth. Lot. <laughs> yeah. And you know what I didn't realize is I knew like, so I, the the writing has, has been very healing, the writing itself. But what I didn't realize, I had these busy people in mind when I was writing it, like people need this, people don't stop. And then I became one of these people. And you know what I'm most proud of is that I do come back to this Mm -hmm. and that I do not glorify busyness and I do not glorify oh my god I'm so busy right now and I know that for me there's an end point to this level of busyness you know once Mm -hmm. the book comes out sure I'll keep I'll keep doing the work and I don't right exactly and you know the Tao says there's a time for being exhausted and there's a time for being vigorous I, I I switch those two around a time for being vigorous a time for being exhausted like just know that whatever level you're operating at right now is good for right now. And if it's not good, change it, but it's, it's temporary. So for me, yes, I come back to this, these teachings myself, to the teachings of do nothing, of taking these moments of stillness. And I also 
look forward to the quietude that will follow. And what's funny is I think that a lot of people get high on the attention of whatever it is that they're doing on the busyness. It is so important to seek balance, to know that after that level of busyness has to come a level, you know, has to come a period of quietude. You can't exist in one high perpetually without, you know, falling. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm learning that and I'm, I'm experiencing a lot of these teachings now, which is cool. It's definitely a balancing act. Life always is. It's never static. And and I have spoken with a lot of people who get really anxious when the when that slowdown starts happening or they start feeling that need to retreat. And they're like, no, 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 I need to keep going and keep doing. But I visualize it like a wave, which is perfect for the Tao because they say be like water, right? But of that, that, you know, the wave comes in and the wave goes back out again. And if every time the wave retreats, you go, oh, no, 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 I'm losing yeah. it. Come back, yeah. come back, right? You would drive yourself yeah. crazy when really if you just wait, it's coming back again. It's just, it's just a cycle. It just repeats. Yeah. And, and, and you need the reprieve in the middle. You do because you, you don't want to burn out. You know, I'm only 40. I have a lot of life to live. I don't want to just be like, you burn myself out. And then the other thing is in the past, a lot of times I didn't see through the projects that I had in mind because I was so scared of the amount of work ahead. So it was, it would be on the other side. Like I was so scared of just, I knew how big an undertaking a book was, for example. For but sure. what I've learned in, in doing this is anything you do, no matter the size of the undertaking, is always done one step at a time. And it's always done one moment at a time. And so it helps to know that this is what I have for today. This is what I have for tomorrow. And right now when it's busy and there's a lot of work, that's what it is. And later when the wave subsides, it's going to be different. And that's cool. That's good. Yeah. Take it one day at a time and we and not, not get so lost in our thoughts about what's coming up next or what's happened before. And then and you miss it, right? You go, wait, what do what, what I do all day? I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, I really, that's actually a fear of mine as, you know, in, in a positive way because I we all try to not live from fear. But this kind of like... This understanding, I'll, I'll reframe it, this understanding that I don't want to get to the end of my life and feel like it all passed me by. Mm-hmm. But I got to remind myself of that daily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really easy to get busy in the doing, especially with our culture or Western culture of, you know, getting things done and accomplishing and succeeding and independence and fame and everything else. And even now, especially with how social media has grown. And it's yeah. a it's a beautiful thing and a terrible thing. <laughs> like so, like so many. You know, like it's really easy to get caught up in that pressure of more followers and more likes. And this is something that I, I've brought up before because I mean, let's face we're on social media. So like I understand it. I feel like I actively work against what the platform is trying to encourage me to do. You know, like I get notifications every single day of, 
oh, you need to boost this post. And like, here's how you can get more likes. And I'm like, maybe I don't want more likes. Like, I don't yeah. want what I, I don't want what I'm sharing to be based on what's going to get the most exposure, because then it's just going to be the most salacious or like, you know, ugh, what a good, point. what a good, that's point. not what yeah. I want to put out there. Yeah. And so I know you, I'm certain, I'm certain deal with that every day too. We have to make conscious choices because it can be an amazing way to show up authentically like you are and connect. And it can also be a real slippery slope of like changing ourselves and our content to fit what we think other people are going to want. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And absolutely, I have to check myself all the time to make sure I'm putting out what I want to put out. But that being said, I have been using advertising um and well my my publisher uses it you know to oh, yeah there's a promote place the for book. it for certain yeah. yeah yeah and i i will absolutely be taking a break let's just say that what happens <laughs> is what's interesting as we grow there are people that you see benefiting from the post and though it's and it's hard to step away but that's an ego thing too like yeah, yeah, you know, like they'll find it. If I take a break, they'll find it elsewhere. It's okay. But the balance with social media to me is a practice on mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And the more I practice it everywhere in my life, the better it gets in like this, in in wherever I am right now. So right now I am active in, on social media in the period of time with the book coming out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's also so many different options for content because I'm on a podcast and I can read from my book and I can do this. And I, I don't remember that. I don't, I don't think I've ever put out more than one thing a day. Maybe it's happened like here or there, but I, Mm -hmm. I'm not a machine. I'm not a robot. Yeah. And that is not, that's not my game. Yeah. That's not my game either. And I think, you know, let's say, I think sometimes I like to fantasize like if I get so big that somebody else does my social media for me and then I said to myself I hear you you know yeah <laughs> but then I think you know but then I think well even if someone disseminates some information for me I'm not ever I'm not in the in in interested in becoming a conveyor belt of content I think yeah. that it's it's important to decide what you want for yourself that's not what I want so one post a day it is. And sure, it can, the same post can go on Instagram and Facebook and whatever. But like it is, it's very important to set up boundaries for ourselves because otherwise I feel like it's just another capitalist machine. That's what I think. It is. Yeah, pumping profit out. And the point of life isn't just to keep speeding up and going faster. And there is a pressure there for that. So you have to be kind of rebellious, I think, to, to put up boundaries and be like, all right, I'm going to show up you know, every day this month, because I just finished my book. And, and if I don't tell people, they won't know. So how are they going to receive it, right? You have to get the message out there. But then next month, you know, I'm going to take a couple weeks, and I'm going to, you know, go to the spa, or go to the beach, or whatever. There's a balance. Yeah. Oh, that sounds wonderful. And Nadia, you know, (laughs) the the truth is, please, right? And then with the kids also, (laughs) with the between the kids and the social media, we all need a spa day. But, but the truth is this, when you really put yourself in the present and you're doing what's needed from mm-hmm. from you right now, right this moment, well, guess mm-hmm. what? You naturally get tired. 
And it is not a fear of I'm going to disappear. It's like, yeah, I'm going to disappear. <laughs> like, it feels good. Yes. Like, uh, you know, it's been a long process of writing. And then, you know, I had to find an agent and all this. And I have a, I have other book ideas. I want to keep going. But right now, I'm like this, like, complete, you know, I have a, I have a glare in front of me of the palm trees in the distance and I'm the light at the end them. of the tunnel because it's a it's a you're birthing something right it's hard exactly it's hard to push all that through which brings me to of course motherhood right you mentioned mm. that you're a mom I'm yes. a mom too so my kids are five and eight are your kids a, a similar age to that five and seven five and seven, five and seven. And also okay girls. the same yeah so you have yeah. two girls I have a girl and a boy and um, oh my gosh, they are my whole world. And it can be, okay, they do two things to me. <laughs> I'm going to say with me. They do two Only things two. with me. <laughs> they have this impact. Two polarizing things. One is they bring me into the present moment. Like, like my daughter was like, I, she's five, right? She's like, I know one song, the, all the words from beginning to end. Do you want me to sing it? And I was like, Yes. And it was the sweetest thing. And she's singing in this soft little voice. And it's this Moana song about the ocean. And like, I just wanted to cry. Like, it was so beautiful. And it just brought me right into the moment. It just brought me right here, right now. Or my kids will be like, oh, let's do this. Or they'll be laughing about something. They remind me to be silly. But then also, <laughs> right? They bring the chaos and the noise and oh, the I need sure. this and, and all of that. So it's like they bring me into the moment, but they also sometimes make me feel like I need to escape escape the moment. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, it, you know, and this is something I write about, as you know, and don't just sit there do nothing because – I think the Tao is so applicable to parenthood. It talks constantly about the paradoxes of life, the duality, right? Like, for example, the beauty of putting out a book and the hardship. Do I keep coming back to the hardship? Because <laughs> I'm like, I really want a vacation. That's the same thing with the kids. Like, mm -hmm. sometimes I feel that you love them more than anything in the world, as you said, and you want a break from them. And the second you get a break, all you do is talk about them. So it's really this like existence of, you know, you can't be without them, really. I mean, when you're like full in as a mom, we can dream, of course, of like a night away in the hotel, whatever. But the funniest thing is the second you're away, <laughs> enough time passes. And what are you talking about? What are you missing? It's your kids. It's really funny. It's it's that water analogy again that you were talking about. It's you, you're in the, and actually very like a book in that way. I mean, and, or, or any big project, like you're so into it and you're having so much fun and you're so present with them and then you're so exhausted, but they're still there for quite a period of time before, you know, you get your break. Like it's yeah. ebbs and flows. And I think that I love that you said that second part, because I think we're so comfortable talking about our love for our kids. Mm -hmm. because that makes well, us hey, look like you, the good mom right oh I'm putting them right, in front right. like it's nothing well and it's also joy you know <laughs> right right and like look we it's the image that we see in society you know the image we're supposed to be of course but also it's what we actually feel it's our greatest joy it's you know it has no strings attached like other things in our lives mm -hmm. but I love also talking about that other part that level of exhaustion where you're like just 
I don't know if you find this, uh, doing this with your kids, but sometimes I'm like, shh, shh. Like I'm just trying to bring their level of energy and volume down. And, you know, there's yeah, no volume I, I control. It just, it no. just goes up, up, up. <laughs> just goes, the excitement. And it's so funny because I'm a loud person myself, but like their level of energy. I said to, I said to my seven-year-old, I'm like, guys, how are you not tired? You're up, you know, you're, their bus picks them up at 7.40. It's like, you're on all day. Why are you not more tired? I am so mm-hmm. tired. And mm-hmm. she said to me, oh, mommy, that's because grown-ups are always much more tired than kids. They just lose energy as they get older. <laughs> and she just brought my own knowledge back to me. It's like, it is so true. I think we it make so ourselves true. tired with our thoughts too. Like, first of all, where it's this mental load of all these responsibilities of the house and the day and the kids and are their shoes still fitting? What are we going to have for dinner tomorrow? Oh my gosh, we need to get the heater fixed. Like all of these things I think we carry in our mind. And actually, even from a caloric standpoint, our brains burn a lot of energy. So maybe there's something to that because we have things running in our mind all the time that I'm sure make us tired. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. So yes, I think you're so right that because if you look at them, they're so much lighter. Their energy is so much lighter. Yeah. It's not... It, it's in the present and it's really like, and they may be talk, talking about their day at school, but it doesn't really go much further than that. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's really, it's the lighter energy. Maybe the lighter energy allows them to be energetic for longer more play, periods more, of time. They're more playful. They, they're, they're, they're existing in the moment in a different way. They're not clinging on to things so much. I remember being a kid and looking up at these adults around me, and I feel like they were always going, oh, I'm so tired, I'm so tired. And I was like, well, why don't you just go to sleep, right? Because I couldn't understand at that age a sort of tiredness that was pervasive. The only sort of tiredness I knew was like, oh, I've been running around outside for an hour. I'm tired. I'm going to rest, and then I'll be 100% again. And it wasn't until I, I became an adult that it was a, it was a different level. But what I was going to say about the babies is that – especially when my when my kids were babies. I had this sense of, oh my gosh, I wish I had more time. I wanted time to clean the house. I wanted time to have a cup of coffee without anybody bumping me or nursing on me or needing anything. I wanted time to do my crafts. I wanted all these things. But then I realized that most of these activities that I wanted to do were centered around things for the kids. So if I didn't have the kids, I wouldn't be doing those things anyway. It's like they were my motivation, my purpose, my meaning. But they also take all of that time and that energy. But by the time they're grown and they're out of the house, I won't have, you know, baby sweaters to knit and messes to clean up. And I'll be I'll be having plenty of quiet cups of tea or whatever that it would be a different experience. It's like the thing 
the thing that I was trying to get some space from is the thing that was motivating me to want to do those things in the first place. So it's a paradox. You can't separate one from the other. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny. Uh, I always think you can have everything, just not at the same time. You really can in life. <laughs> I realize that now. Um, but, but it's funny how we want time for ourselves when they're little and there, there, there are periods when they are really needy, right? Like when they're babies and they need you all the mm. time. And so we want, we just want them asleep. We, so that we have time to ourselves. And then I mean, I would give thousands of dollars to have one day right now with my kids as babies again, because you know that that time is gone forever. Yeah. And I, I write about that, um, and I still tear up when I read that section that one, I mean, it's going to be an instant time. It's going to be like, it's going to be a decade and, a, and also an instant, a moment, and then they're going to leave. Mm-hmm. And the rest of our lives, we're going to be reminiscing and dreaming about the time that they were, you know, yeah. our hours, really hours. Yeah. And isn't that funny? It's so funny. It colors our entire life. I hear that a lot. And and to be honest, <laughs> I live with a hyper awareness of the fact that time is passing and my kids are growing up. I remember tearing up when my son was like three months old and I was crying about him like growing up and going off to college. And my yeah. husband is laughing at me because here I am yeah. holding this baby. It's like he cannot even walk yet. Like you have some time, you know. Yeah. But I've yeah. been hearing this my whole life and I, I, I knew I wanted to be a mom. So, so when I had my babies, it's like I wanted to hit the brakes. This is where yeah. I want to be. This is it you know so like for the first time in my life I wasn't trying to get anywhere else and I you know eight years later I still feel that way and so that kind of hyper awareness of time is passing this is precious I love them so much they change so quickly it's going to be different next week next month next year produces so much anxiety and emotion and fear that can actually get in the way of our enjoyment of life and I think maybe that's something a lot of mothers experience but don't but don't necessarily talk about about. well if I'm completely honest I used to hear that a lot too and I didn't believe it. Like, I believed it. I got it. But I would roll my eyes almost a little bit. Yeah. I'd be like, like oh, yeah, it goes so yeah. fast. Enjoy it. Here, you hold You know, them. remember, like, they would say, yeah, yeah. And I would just, I, I love, well, I also dealt with postpartum depression. I think it was a hard start for me, to be honest. And then mm-hmm. I had them close together. And it was so hard because they're less than two years apart. My kids, it was so hard. And, you know, at night, it would just be like a relief when I could get them to sleep. But it was such a beautiful time too. And it's almost like when I think about it now, I'm like, yeah, it passed fast because it was so freaking hard. And that's the truth. Mm -hmm. And like, there's nothing I could say, like, I wish I could go back. But the truth Mm -hmm. is the only way to get through it was in this like puff of a moment. And that's okay. That's how it was. And now Mm -hmm. they're becoming people and you get to watch them. So I... I see what I really, really feel what you're saying because I'm that way too. But lately, <laughs> I've been good about not letting myself get into the nostalgia. Yeah. Because I had this realization that, well, if I had like them back to babies, then I wouldn't have them as who they are now. And they just exactly. keep getting more interesting and more multi layered. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You're building, right? Like this whole relationship with them that 
has been so many different facets and moments and it's no, you can't turn time backwards. That's true. And you know, you'll never be super young again and whatever else, but there's such a beauty in that. I see beauty in the building of life as we get older. And this is very new to me. I turned 40. So maybe it was something with the 40, the turning 40, but like, I feel like I really feel, I feel much more settled than I ever have before in my life. And that's why I think that, I think that the writing of my book did that for me because yeah. I kind of gathered all of my lessons and I, I get that now. I'm like, every moment is a new moment and it's richer than the last. That's how I'm experiencing it. And, mm-hmm. you know, is it a hundred percent true? Who cares? It makes me feel better. So <laughs> yeah, you know? if we, if we were to turn back the clock and go back in time, Like, I would love to hold my baby for, like, an hour, but I wouldn't want to stay there, and I wouldn't want to go through that whole journey again. That if we – if my 8-year-old was an infant again, it would actually be really sad. It would be sad because I wouldn't be able to have the kinds of conversations that we have now and interact in the way that we do now. He He's more of himself today than he was as a baby, and that's really exciting. I was going to say, or maybe, like, he we were on different, like – uh, energy levels like babies I'm sure they have their soul and all that but we're like in this human life and they're still somewhere in between and we can't we don't really communicate with them the way we can as when we're all talking and walking and thinking yeah it's significant when when they start to grow up and and you're you're interacting with them as people but this sense of attachment to the present moment is is or to the past, is something mm. that Ramdas really helped me with. Because he talked about he was a traveling sadhu, right? He would travel all around and and speak to people. And, you know, he, I think he had a, was it a bus that he used to travel around in? Or it was like a Volkswagen van. I think that's what it was. It, and like he lived a in decorated there. decorated one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a nice one. And he would do his yeah. meditation. And I have a photo of him of that. I love that. But he said that he tried to get rid of everything, right? This let, let go of everything, release attachment. So mm. he tried to get rid of all of his stuff. And one day he dumped like almost all of his boxes into the trash. And then he says in the middle of the night, he's up in the dumpster digging out stuff (laughs) that he realized he just couldn't live without, right? And so he said he had 19 boxes and he got it down to like nine, right? He got it down to like nine boxes. He just dragged around the country with him. And then, you know, it builds up a little bit. He's like, now I have like 12, right? But it's it's so hard to let go of these things. But he says that the motivation that's behind that is this sense that we're going to run out of the present moment, that 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 what is um, that it's never going to be as good as it is now. And so I really, really hope that I'm not in my 60s and 70s going, oh, my gosh, I wish my babies were young again. Life was so mm. wonderful when when we were young, because I feel like that's the same mistake as thinking life is as being in your 20s and thinking, oh, when I get that career or I get that mm. husband or whatever my life is, it's the same mistake of, of not totally. looking at, at where you are. And so I 
I'm I'm committing to it now. I'm not going to be that person who goes back and Me says, too. Oh, my, yeah, let's do it. My life was so let's great when, and oh, you're going to miss it. I'm never going to tell anybody, oh, you're going to miss it. Enjoy it now. Because I want to milk every moment for all that it's got. I want to enjoy that present moment. And so far, if I'm honest... It just gets richer every day. Now, life is not without challenges and setbacks and doubts and emotions. But when I think about where I am now, how I feel in my body, in my life, in this moment, it is so rich. Like, how could I long for anything else? Even when I start to get nostalgic about the baby days, I look at my kids now and I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Look at what we could do today and let's do it. I think that... Can I clap? That is is the way, that is the way to live. I mean, and the truth is when I even think about like going back to when the kids were little or going back to anything else, like going back to the time when I had more time and rest and whatever. Well, here's the, here's the catch. I would only want to go back as myself now because I am a better (laughs) me now. Like, Mm -hmm. like I could really enjoy my baby if I go back now. Back then I was scared. I was a mess, whatever. But like, it's interesting. Like I would not at all. Yes, I wouldn't give up them as they are now, but I wouldn't want to give up myself because I'm better. Mm. I have gotten better with time and I would definitely not want to go back to my 20s because I was a mess. And then when I think back, like, sure, teenager, but also just as myself now, not as then, those confused people. So mm-hmm. yeah, I hope it's in our 60s we're that much wiser, that much. Yeah. And really, the wiser you get, the lighter you get, the happier and jo- more joyful you get. So bring it on, right? I feel like that's how Louise Hay was. She wasn't going, oh, it was so great when I used to be a model and look at me in the 80s and oh, you're going to miss it. No, she was like, life is beautiful. This is wonderful. And she she enjoyed what she had in the present moment. I I want to I'm I will do that as well. And I am doing it right now. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for where I'm at. We've grown a lot. We will do it. We will do it. And maybe maybe by then your podcast will be like one of those virtual machines where you holograph each other. <laughs> Who knows where we'll be? Right? Technology is moving so fast. We don't know where it will take us. That scares me sometimes, by the way. Like, yes, I'm not scared of time moving. I'm excited. But I also, I get scared at, at the speed we've we've begun to live at as humans, as a human race. Mm-hmm. That scares me sometimes. Yeah, I feel... I feel like simplicity adds a lot. And it doesn't mean that you have to give up and live off the grid. You don't have to give up your phone and your computer and everything else because you could do amazing. These are amazing tools, but they really are tools. And I think we have to be really intentional with how we use them, with what notifications we allow to come through, with when we sit down and check our emails and all of those things that we're... We can see, this was always true, but we can see it more than ever that we're in charge of what comes into our space and everything that comes in impacts how we feel. I I couldn't agree with you more. And that's one of these things that during this time of being more busy and doing interviews and whatnot, I've become way more attached to my devices, to my phone and checking my email and whatever. And I see it like I can see, you know, one, I say that awareness is a superpower, but it's also, you know, it's a magnifying glass. Like I see myself, I get that I'm not in the best place right now. And that's why I really do look forward to that break. The great thing is when you become aware, you don't 
let yourself get out too out of hand. You kind of were able now, another beauty of getting older and having experience, we're able to bring ourselves back in, rein ourselves in. And it's interesting because I feel like the kids are seeing it more. You know, we, for us, it was like a new toy that appeared and then it, it grew so fast. The children, they've always had this. And I used to be scared, like, oh, they're going to be addicted. But they see it because they see how it takes their parents away sometimes, you know. And they, mm-hmm. uh, so When I'm being bad, you know, like where I'm like, I have 50 emails and we had the pandemic and the kids were home much more. And my daughter would say, oh, you're a phone person, you know, because she knows how I feel about <laughs> phone people. And she said the other day, she's like, we should have at least one day a year, like where everybody, it's a holiday and everybody has to not be near any of their devices, no phones, no computers. And I'm like, that sounds like the best, I think that's a yes, we need that. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so not once a year, maybe the, but more often than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think like, so what I'm saying is I think I used to be worried that the newer generations, like about kids and screen time, I think they will understand the perils of it too. Like they're not Mm -hmm. dumb. They're smarter Mm -hmm. than we think. I think where they are the most vulnerable is socially. That they're in Mm -hmm. this environment where they're, they're at an age where they're vulnerable, where they're wired to care more about what their peers think than anybody else. And now all of a sudden they find themselves on these forums where anybody and everybody can say terrible things to them and they can really take it to heart and they don't always know how to talk about it. So I think it's really important that with with the young ones, right? And our kids aren't quite there yet, but, but when they Thank get God. there- Oh my God. <laughs> they'll yeah. get there. And I think that the best thing we can do is kind of expand our teachings and our understanding around social pressures and peer pressure and, you know, being secure in who you are and making your own choices and not trying to please everybody else are really going to serve them going forward because the technology is second nature to them. It's the social stuff that I think is really detrimental when they're um, in their adolescence. Very good point. And my hope is it's not regulated quite as much as it should be and um, not anywhere near there, actually, let's be honest. And I just, I hope that we catch up with that as a government, as a people. You know, I, I don't even blame anyone that it's not as regulated as it should be because it's new and I get yeah. it. Like it was new, but now that we it's know evolving. how harmful it is, yeah, we got to evolve. And so I think that that will happen too, I hope. But I got to say... When it does scare me because when I think about myself as a teenager and my insecurities and, you know, I developed an eating disorder. I would wear, I'm, I'm pretty short uh, normally, like short height wise, not that I, I don't, it's fine, you know, but I'm like somewhere five, two like that. And that's one of those things that bothered me when I was younger. And I like lived in these six inch heels and I was very vulnerable to peer pressure. So I just feel like if I was a teenager at this time, me, that same me, there would be like, I don't know, topless pictures of me around that just on the internet. All over just, Instagram. Yeah, all over <laughs> like, I like that the understanding of that is scary. So yeah, yeah let, you know, I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But I do, I, that helps me enjoy right now more realizing that <laughs> those times as parents are yet to come. Yeah. That's not for today. That's 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 no. for another time. But 
Yeah. And and we go through this period of self-exploration, but to do that publicly, oh, I'm so Good. thankful. <laughs> My life was not on the internet when I was in high school because I wouldn't want it out there now. You know, we go through a process and <laughs> every everybody I does. hope, but it's interesting. It's something you have to teach them along the way because, you know, like... They've already, my daughter was hanging out with her friend and she's very young, but they think it's funny to take, oh, I'll take a picture of my butt. You know, they, so I, so I already started this conversation of why you can't do that. Now I totally get it as a kid, just being funny. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's so innocent. Yeah. But then I have to to start that line of, you got to start that line of communication young because they're exposed to things that they don't understand and it normalizes it for them. Right. And so then we start so young and I thought, my God, it's too young to start this conversation of who can end up with your picture. But it's not too young. You know, the reality, I try to do that now. I used to be kind of embarrassed of like being on Instagram in front of my child. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I'm so scared of that for them. And so now we talk about it. I'm like, mommy's book is coming out. So I'm, I have to do this thing for Instagram so people know about my book. So I try to show them the reality like I can't hide, it would be like hiding the television set from kids at a certain age. You know, this is <laughs> That's where. That's not going to work. Yeah, stuff's going on. So I try to figure it out. I guess we're all figuring it out together. And I thought about this. It's probably a more honest way to be with your kids. You know, I try to be really mm-hmm. honest and all yeah. the stuff. All, I don't know. Because I wish, I wish my adults in my life didn't do that then. Yeah. I wish they did. I wish they were like. I don't know everything and I'm yeah, figuring same. it out. Same. Yeah. Be nice. Well, that's why we're doing it, right? Because yeah. that wasn't really that wasn't really modeled and and I I believe in authenticity above positivity. I really do cuz I think positivity can way, be toxic. Yeah. And I, you know, f- from the from the earliest age, I have done my best to try to answer my my kids' questions with as much, you know, as straightforward, as honest as I can, even when it's difficult and awkward. And I'm trying to have those conversations at an age appropriate level, but way before it was happening with me, including talking about death, you know? Yes. And I didn't feel comfortable to maybe ask a lot of questions about that because it's, it's uncomfortable for a lot of the adults. So I, I think that, you know, some of us are, are changing that and our kids, that's, our kids will have other things to overcome. Let's be honest. But that's what, yeah. <laughs> that's one thing that's yeah, I mean, their world, for them. Yeah. Like we're better in certain ways for sure. We, we know more. We're, we understand that, you know, I have a chapter called on death and dying in here and don't just sit there, do nothing. And mm-hmm. it's about like, it's a, it was about when my three-year-old at the time, some people died around us. My grandma, it was the pandemic you know, our, our friends, grandparents died and we had to start talking about it. And I realized how uncomfortable it made me that she was talking about dying and she was three. And then, and then I realized that nobody ever talked to me about it. Like literally it was just not explained. And it was just this terrible thing that we try to avoid. Right. That's all we know about death. And so we did all, we also started talking about it, but it's funny because on death and dying, I ask people, I will share this. I, I ask in the little do your Tao section at the end, I ask people to go back to their first experience of death. The first time they learned about death. Can you mm-hmm. even remember what it was like to understand, to know 
that death is something that happens. And if you can't remember it, which I couldn't, I couldn't remember the first, I mean, I remember the first time somebody died. I was four. Mm-hmm. I remember the, you know, the kind of pain around it. But I realized that in going back to it, I, I can go back to that kind of less than healthy understanding and maybe change it. So maybe say, you know, I'm a grown up now. So perhaps mm-hmm. I didn't even look at my beliefs about death. And am I willing to change it? As spiritual yeah. people, we know, we know death is not this thing that just happens and then you're gone. We know there's more. So why not change this understanding and talk to ourselves about death? And then once I was talking to myself about it, I was journaling about it. I was able to talk to my child and our cat, of many, many years recently passed away. And, you know, it was difficult for me because he was with me for 15 years, but it was really hard on the kids with whom they lived. You know, they lived with him since birth. Mm -hmm. And it was really healthy to have normal conversations. Maybe he'll be reborn as a lion. Maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe he's somewhere like floating up in the sky with his mom or his brother. And then my seven-year-old goes, maybe he's just dead and there's nothing else. And I'm like, that's maybe, you know, we don't yeah. know. Um, I don't think so. And I tell her, I don't think so. Here's why I don't think so. But I also, you know, she's also allowed to be this dark person and have her beliefs. And it's, yeah. you're right that you have to cross the line. Sometimes doing what's right and doing what's comfortable are different things. And I, I think that, I kind of take the same approach and I'm okay with that ambiguity of, you know, we don't know. That's a good question. Here's what I think, or I've heard this option, or, you know, what do you think about it? And I, I believe that kids can handle a lot more than we give them credit for. As an example, my son was, I think he was three years old and we got chickens. We got baby chicks. Now anybody who's had baby chicks knows they don't always make it, right? So mm-hmm. so we had this little box of baby chicks and we lost a couple of them. And I this was my first the first time my son was maybe aware enough to to understand death and I was like oh, like he's going to see this and freak out like should I hurry up and get rid of the chick or like do we get another one and replace it? Like yeah. <laughs> what, how do I have this conversation? And then when he found out, he was just like, "Oh, okay." You know, and like he was fine. So I think a lot of it has to do with our comfort level and the emotions that it stirs up for us, which is why a lot of people don't ever want to talk about grief and death and dying. And that's another thing that Ram Dass, I think, shined a light on for me of 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 looking at that, looking at that differently. But yeah, it's a process. You know, we're finding our way. Yeah. We don't have all the answers. I think that's okay. If we can have open dialogue with our kids, hopefully when they're grown, they're going to come back and talk to us. And maybe we can at least show them how we've done it when it comes yeah. to things like Instagram or spirituality or, you know, balancing the busyness of life or motherhood because they may not remember what we said. But they'll remember how we were. They'll they'll remember how we lived our lives, and they'll probably model much of what they do based off of us. So, you know, that's motivation. I think you're so right, and that's you know I recently read Wayne Dyer's daughter's book, The Knowing, mm-hmm. and uh, Serena Dyer very graciously agreed to write a little blurb for my book, which she did. Beautiful, um, and yeah, it was really like a you know, 
I I had to chase her down. I'll be honest. It was. It was. <laughs> She's a busy it lady. It wasn't easy. Of course, of course. And she has how many kids? I think three kids. And you know, it yes, it was not easy, but it, it was really beautiful what she wrote. And you know, she said for anyone looking to connect more to their higher self, I I highly highly recommend reading this. And she wrote uh, that my personal story is inspiring. It was really nice for me to hear that because obviously, if Wayne Wayne Dyer was alive, I would have tried to reach him, and who knows if I would have. But what I loved from learning from them is that they said. Yeah, sure. Like from having a spiritual parents, they there were these great ideas that were part of their norm. But mm-hmm. what's interesting is they didn't really realize those spiritual ideas fully until their father died. Yeah. And they needed that knowledge to get over the grief of that. And I thought, huh, how beautiful. We think, you know, like we think we can teach our kids and still the way they're going to learn is you know, maybe by having painful experiences and struggles of their own. And we can't, and isn't the pandemic such an example of that? Like, we don't know what it's like to grow up wearing masks in school. And, you know, our five-year-old started school in such a weird environment, right? In kindergarten. And we -hmm. don't know what effect that has on them and on their psyche. So I thought, here I am, you know, I was an immigrant in the Soviet Union. I came to America. I lived this middle-class life. They're going to have such a perfect childhood. And we don't even know what's what the world is like so yeah it's for all us, a crapshoot there's, <laughs> there's been a bit of a grieving process because I realized subconsciously I came into this with this picture in my mind of what my kid's childhood would be like and, and similar in many ways to my own childhood and at some point with this pandemic I had to go okay you know, their child isn't going to look the same and that's okay. Like we're going to find a new way through this. They're going to have different experiences. That doesn't make it bad, you know, but each one of us has our own journey for sure. So they, they come into this world, you know, with their own soul, with their own Dharma. They don't come for us. They come through us. So it's a, it's a big job being a parent. (laughs) Yeah, and that's another Ram Das teaching that I loved, you know, as well, that he, he talked about it. And I love how, actually, that was a Rumi poem, right? Um, our children, they mm-hmm. they come from us, but they are not ours. He yeah. Wrote. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful way of looking. And I try to capture that as well. And don't just sit there, do nothing with um, saying the same, it's the same kind of idea that what the Tao teaches us about parenting is that the greatest love in a way is letting go. Mm-hmm. Not we're not we're not here to. We had these ideas of what their childhood would look like. We have mm-hmm. ideas about them, and they will show us their own way, like it or not. We gotta let them be them. Yeah, let them spread their wings and try things out and make mistakes and have hard times and just know, like, I'm gonna be here for you as much as I can. But this is your journey. No, and you, you need to listen to that voice within. I want to listen to the voice within. You need to listen to your own voice within, even at the age of five and eight. You know, if you give them the space to do that, they're self-directed. And they'll tell you too. They'll be like, well, I'm not you. <laughs> they'll say it. <laughs> they'll remind you if you forget. <laughs> yeah. So funny. Now, are there essential teachings of the Tao Te Ching? So there's 81 verses, and I know that yes. it's said that, you know, some of them kind of contradict one another. It's that paradox. Yeah. Some of them are harder to understand. Yep. But are there some themes that kind of run through the teachings? 
Yeah, I love how in one of the verses, Lao Tzu, who's said to have written uh, the Tao Te Ching, now Lao Tzu translates as the old guy. So obviously that wasn't any one person or <laughs> the historians believe it's a mix of people. So anyway, it's not one specific person. We don't really know who, but the writer said, I really have three things to teach. Simplicity, patience, compassion. Mm. And I see it as simplicity, which is why now is such a good time to look at the Tao again. Simplicity is so hard to find nowadays because we've gotten so oversaturated with messaging and content and noise. And I read that today in a person's life, in one day, they consume more information than a couple hundred years ago someone did in their entire lifetime. That's how much information we have coming at us. No wonder we're so, tired. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's so the art of simplifying our lives is really worth looking at. How can we simplify all our desires, all our plans, our many thoughts? How can we find moments of stillness and simplicity? Patience is the understanding that all change takes time. Uh, that's what's really important on a spiritual journey. The understanding that you know, you're never done. You never get there. You, you said it so beautifully at the beginning because it's all, it's a journey and that patience is very important. And then finally, compassion. When you begin with compassion towards yourself for your mistakes, imperfections, idiosyncrasies, whatnot, it's so easy to extend compassion to other people. But mm -hmm. the Tao reminds us that compassion starts within. Yeah, it's such an important reminder. We can get so externally focused, but really... For one, life is mirroring, mirroring what's happening internally. So our life is, is lived in our own minds. It's not what's happening, but it's our thoughts about what's happening, the emotions that those produce that we are experiencing. So two people can be in the same place at the same time, having a very different experience of life, but assuming this is just how it is, but it's really, it's all happening within you. So true, because we we bring the joy. We bring, you know, change your thoughts, change your life. <laughs> we bring the thoughts. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Wayne. Um, now, in your, in your epilogue, you wrote, even if you follow none of my suggestions, not a single one, you are doing the Tao. Even if you don't like much of what I've written here, you're doing it and doing it well, because there is no other way. And I stand by that. <laughs> the Tao, the Tao, the the, what I've understood, you know, I spent this time, so I thought I was going to write this book. What I didn't realize is they wanted me to do my own translation. So I ended up sitting for every verse through like, you know, a dozen or so translations. And I would look at this verse from this angle and this angle and this angle and eventually just come back to the same, the simpler, the simpler I could see it the more true it felt. Mm -hmm. And I had this understanding that, the, you know, that's all there is, is what, what you're living and what you're doing right now. And the judgment we put on it, oh, I, you know, right now I'm really good and my, I'm living my life really good, like really well and everything's perfect. I'm being a good person, whatever. Well, who says that person is more valuable than the person struggling and who is really suffering, who's really not understanding what's going on or who maybe is hurting other people because they're suffering inside. Like 
that experience is as valid as that experience. And so these are suggestions. My book are their suggestions based on the Tao Te Ching for a simpler, more easeful life. And again, I don't think it's wrong if you don't use them. I don't think it's wrong if you don't choose to be easeful. And you know what? There are moments that I can't get to the easeful. There are days I can't. But this information is here Mm -hmm. if you want to find a more easeful way to live. It doesn't make you better, but it will make it more easeful for you. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll be honest, it's more enjoyable. But still, the choice is yours and not every day has to be perfect. We can come back to that flow through life, right? And without shaming ourselves for, ah, I can't believe I got distracted again and I got frustrated and, okay, just take a breath. Like, don't beat yourself up. Take a breath. Come back to where you are as often as you need, a hundred times a day, right? And if you keep practicing that, you're going to find yourself in that state more often. And that's part of the human experience. You know, we're not here to avoid suffering. We're we're here to grow and to learn and to experience a whole variety of things. And some of our darkest times, our hardest times, even collectively, like with this pandemic, are mm. maybe maybe providing us with the most growth. So be thankful even in times of struggle. Yeah, change is not comfortable. Everyone who's birthed the baby knows. <laughs> Birthing something new is not comfortable, and mm-hmm. we're. But the thing is, we're all, we're constantly birthing a new us, a new reality, a new society. Yeah, like society's changing right now. You can feel it. Any one of us who's in the spiritual realm feels that there are changes, and changes are bumpy. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't go smoothly often, especially when there's you know billions of people involved. So just ride it out. There's no mm-hmm. other choice anyway. So if you had one message that you wanted people to remember from this book, what would you say? You are doing really, really well. That's the message I want people to take. I don't care what you're doing. If you're here and you're curious enough to pick up a book and to maybe consider, you know, what is it all about? You're doing it well. I don't care if you're at the bottom and if you're... just rob the liquor store, you know? That's the truth. (laughs) Yeah, you're on your journey. You're having your process. You know, we're we're all on a journey home. Uh, Whether we take the long way (laughs) or not, I think we all end up at the same place. So what's the best way for people to reach you and get a hold of your book? jessiekanzer.com, J-E-S-S-I-E-K-A-N-Z-E-R. And I know you're going to put it in the notes, but I figure if someone's driving, I don't know. (laughs) jessiekanzer.com has all the information. I have a a bunch of free events that I'm doing online and some not free events. Um, Actually, I'm I'm doing a benefit event at Omega uh, because those centers really suffer during this time. And my own mentor, Laura Day, who's a teacher as well, just assembled a a bunch of us teachers to teach for free and to collect that money to keep Omega open. So all of that information is on my website. And the book, Don't Just Sit There, Do Nothing, can be found on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and any indie bookstore as well. And all those order links are on my site as well. So that's why I say my site. I feel like, you know, you can Google someone and find a billion things about them. I have a site completely for utilitarian reasons because I realize, you know, if folks want to 
get some of my information or see me on social media or get some freebies that I have. That's one place and order yeah. the book, one place. <laughs> get it all in one spot, jessiecanzer.com. Yeah. Well, congratulations yeah. again. Well done. It is a well-written, enjoyable book with your take on the Tao. Um, I think people can get so much of this and you really brought your humanity through, uh, which is a beautiful thing because we, we, you know, we're all going through this together. So thank you for the book. Thank you for spending this time with me and good luck with the launch. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for all our listeners, thank you for following Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life and telling your friends about it. The full video for this episode will be available exclusively on Patreon. You can get that link and more details about this podcast at NadiaDelaCruz.com. Until next time, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Namaste. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.